Hi, everyone, and welcome to the From the Hack podcast for April 16th, 2019. This week, we welcome Skips Kerry Anderson and Brendan Botcher, fresh off their respective victories at the Players' Championship in Toronto. We also caught up with both Nicholas Adine and BJ Newfeld to discuss what was an exciting men's world championship in Lethbridge a couple of weeks ago. And we welcome Sarah McManus of Team Hasselberg, who discusses what has been another incredible season for her and her team. All that and more this week, but first... Canadian musician and non-curler extraordinaire Jimmy Reed plays us into the podcast. So before we get started, if you've ever wondered how they get those nice graphics into the ice at Grand Slams at the World Championships and at Nationals in Canada and the U.S., well, the answer is provided by Jedi's, whose in-ice graphics from easy and textile logos to the world-famous Jedi's Full House product are great ways for clubs to enhance the appearance of their ice and to generate much-needed additional sponsorship revenues. Easy and textile logos are the industry standard for high-quality logos and they're a snap to install. Meanwhile, Jedi's customizable Full Houses are a relatively new way for clubs to grow sponsorship revenues by offering maximum brand recognition to those sponsors. No one can match Jedi's design services, quick turnaround times, and product quality, which is why Jedi's products are valued by major organizations such as Curling Canada, the World Curling Federation, USA Curling, and Sportsnet, who trust Jedi's to provide the products they require for their high-profile events. Jedi's. They bring ice to life. Arnold Ashen's passion for curling, along with his natural propensity to explore new ways to better the game, led him to a whole new world of product design. As a result, all Ashen Curling Supplies products are designed with the curler in mind. Ashem's patented ultralight RDS technology makes it possible to change and customize their slider with any combination of sliding discs. With equal resistance on all sides, the circular design that guarantees a straight slide. These circles have also been designed larger and with stabilizing bars from the outer unit sole to produce the most stable straight sliding shoe the world has ever seen. Go to www.asham.com for brooms, apparel, and revolutionary designed footwear. And if you're considering buying new curling shoes, you must consider the rotator sole. It's the sole of the future. From the Hacks Weekly Recap is powered by The Curling Zone, your premier source for curling results from around the world. Visit us at www.curlingzone.com. The biggest event in the Pinty's Grand Slam of Curling is the Players' Championship that takes place each year in Toronto. This year, Carrie Anderson and her team of Val Sweeting, Shannon Burchard and Brianne Maillard won the women's event by defeating Team Hasselberg of Sweden in the final for their first ever slam title as a team. Carrie Anderson joined me to discuss her team's big win in Toronto and also to discuss their season, which included some low moments but also some very high points. I did the interview in two parts. The first part you will hear was done over the phone following their victory in Toronto and the second part was done on-site at the Madame Centre last week in Toronto, which is why there is some additional background noise. Carrie, by the time you had arrived in Toronto for the Players' Championship, your team had already had a solid season. But how nice was it to put an exclamation point on your first season together with a win at the Players? Oh, it feels so awesome. Um, I know lately we had lost a few finals and some really big games that uh, really hurt us. And to go out there and to rebound from that, um, we had a slow start at the Players, but we... um, we sat down, and it's not like we were playing bad. We were just on the wrong side of the inch. And I was missing just some key shots, but I uh, bounced back and uh, uh, made a few ones, a few good ones, and uh, to help my team out. <laughs> 
As you just mentioned briefly, the start of the week in Toronto was a bit difficult, losing three of your first four games. Did you sit down as a team before your final round-robin game against Team Scheidegger to remind yourselves that a victory might still get you a spot in the tiebreaker or perhaps a direct spot in the quarterfinal? Yeah, we knew um, going into playing Casey we were going to have to play a good game. So, um, yeah, we went out there and uh, put a lot of pressure on them and... um, uh, we played really well, and just to give us that chance, we knew we had a good draw the button. So we thought, well, if we could win this one, then we should be able to uh, possibly get straight in or at least give, guarantee us a tiebreaker. And, um, yeah, we uh, did just that, and we got into a tiebreaker and made playoffs, or um, missed the tiebreaker and got into the playoffs. In the final in Toronto, you were playing a team, Hasselberg, that has been lights out most of the season. A team that you will likely have to measure yourselves up against for the better part of this Olympic cycle as two of the top women's teams in the world. Was your victory in Toronto especially sweet because it came against a team that has been playing as well as team Hasselberg has this season? Yeah, we know going into that final game that Hasselberg is an amazing team. Um, They're Olympic gold medalists and um, we knew we were going to have to bring our A game in that game. And both teams played so well. Uh, could have won either way. Like, Anna had a shot to win, but my thought process going into that last 10 was I just want to make her throw her last one, and we did. And we got lucky that she just rolled a little too far, so we got to take it to the extra, and I was pretty confident in the extra that we would, uh, we would pull it through. Aside from practicing, of course, what did your team talk about in an effort to make sure that you were focused and all on the same page uh, in your preparation for Toronto after such a long break? Yeah, just going out there and just enjoying the moment and going back to having fun and just uh, playing with no pressure and no fear. um, And... uh, just uh, even we're still learning as a team too so we're a brand new team still and um, I think we've come a long way and we're, we're doing well. Now, Kerry, the last time we spoke was before you competed in the wildcard game at the Scotties, which you lost to Team Scheidegger. You haven't played in an event since that wildcard game, so I'm wondering if your team has been able to park that defeat or if you've been stewing on it for a few weeks. Yeah, it definitely gives us hunger to uh, get there and uh, represent our province. Um, Yeah, it sucks losing that game, but we have so much more to uh, look forward to. So we grieve that loss, and uh, we move forward and come back stronger and uh, focus on improving every game. As we've discussed before, Carrie, a lot was made of your team earlier this season and the fact that you were bringing together four solid players with three of them playing a new position. I think it's fair to say that the second half of the season leading up to the players included a few disappointing results. But overall, how happy are you with your team's season and the growth you've shown since first getting together? Um, I'm really happy. Uh, We definitely didn't expect uh, this much success. Um, I know we put together um, a really strong team and um, all different roles and Um, All my my teammates are very supportive and have taken on those roles. And, uh, yeah, we've uh, definitely uh, um, had a great season and still have a few spiels left. So um, just going to go out and just uh, focus on each game. 
And finally, Kerry, your team played a front-loaded schedule this season in an effort to accumulate ranking points. In fact, when you arrived in Sydney, Nova Scotia, for the wildcard game at the Scotties, you had played 18 more games this season than any other team in the field. It might be a little early to have had these discussions yet, but I'm wondering if your team might play a little less next season. Fatigue was um, an issue. I know for myself it was. We played a lot of games, and um, I think going into next year, we're just going to keep it a little more relaxed. The men's title at the Players' Championship was won by the team of Brendan Botcher, Darren Moulding, Brad Thiessen, and Carrick Martin, who defeated their Alberta rivals Team Cooey in the final. Skip Brendan Botcher joined from the hack to discuss his team's big win in Toronto, a second Grand Slam title for the team this season. Brendan, here we are some 24 hours removed from uh, your big win at the Players' Championship in Toronto. How does it feel to have put an exclamation point on what has been a very good season for your team by winning the Players in Toronto on the weekend? Yeah, you know, the Players' Championship is sort of the pinnacle of the Slam series, and especially with the year we've had this year, it's just amazing that we could cap it off with one more great week for us. Um, and a really good finish there against Cooey, and, you know, it feels like we played Cooey in a lot of big games this year, and I suppose we have. It feels like the two of us are uh, having a good year. Um, so we certainly had a lot of good battles. It was nice to win this last one against those guys for sure. Now, I realize that shooting percentages aren't the be-all and end-all, but you threw 100% in the final versus Team Cooey at the players. As an elite athlete, it must be very satisfying when you can bring your A game to a big moment like that. Yeah, I, I think once you get to a certain level, it's all about who can perform their best um, under the most pressure in the biggest situations. Um, that's really, those are the teams that are winning stuff at the end of the day, all the big stuff anyways. And I'm, I'm proud of the guys. I thought we had a great game. Uh, personally, I came out and brought my best, and that was barely enough. You know, I, I played as well as I did, and Cooey still had a uh, pretty tough shot, but a shot that was probably there on paper to maybe win that game at the end of it. And that really speaks to the depth of the two teams and really how close of a battle it was. Speaking of Team Cooey, you've played against Kevin quite a bit over the past few seasons. Uh, with the type of highlight reel shots that he has pulled off this season and throughout his career, do you have to be especially mindful of what type of shots you leave him? Perhaps shots that you'd gladly leave for other players. For sure. I, I, you got to be a little careful um, just, of, just of what kind of shots you're leaving at the very end of the end in certain situations. You know, that said, those uh, big, big shots are not, um, are not what he wants to be throwing either. I mean, he would rather have much more simple shots than that. So if you can put the opposing skip in that situation enough times, you will get your share of the misses because they're just not probable makes, those kind of shots. Um, that said, he makes more of them than anyone else, um, maybe anyone else that I've ever seen. So you're never really safe, but, you know, if you're leaving, if you're leaving him or anyone else, for that matter, a consistent diet of those kind of shots, you'll win your share for sure. You started the week one and two in Toronto, and I'm wondering if your experience of the past year and a half at the Briar and at other slams have allowed you to process a start like that differently than you would have earlier in your career, especially since your two losses were against two of the better teams in the world. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, when you're when you're losing to the top handful of teams in the world, you need to you need to figure out what went wrong, but you also have to let it go pretty fast. You know, if we were losing to some of the low seeds in our pool, I would be a lot more worried because then then you have no other path forward but beating the top guys. You know, we, we won all the games in our pool that we probably should have won, and we really only played a couple of bad ends against Jacobs and Gushu, but, you know, against those teams, you just can't do that. So I thought we learned something. I thought we got a little bit better as the week went on, which I think you have to if you're going to win an event. 
and we, we brought our best in the playoffs, which is all I can ask for. Not that people were ignoring or looking past your team, but after winning two slams this season and reaching another Briar final, you will go into next season as one of the teams with a big target on your backs. Will that cause you to change your approach or mindset at all next season, or will you stick to what has gotten you there? I, I don't think it really changes anything. You know, the, the top three names in curling would still probably be Kui, Gushu, and Jacob, um, and I'm hoping that we're a part of that conversation here, but I think the world of curling doesn't really care that much once you get into the top handful of teams. Everyone, we, we play each other so much, and I, I don't really think it changes the way we, we do things. In the last year and a half, two years here, we've had quite a bit of success, and we've had success by doing it our way and sticking to our sort of systems and doing that the best we can. And to deviate from that now, I just don't think would be super productive for us. In the past, I've asked you about your on-ice relationship with Darren Moulding and how you've got a good yin-yang situation going on, but I also believe that your front end does not get enough credit for becoming one of the more effective front ends in the sport. Can you tell me about Brad Thiessen and Karak Martin and the role they have played as your team has continued its rise towards the top of the world rankings this season? Yeah, I think it's no, uh, no coincidence that uh, it certainly feels like we have two of the best sweepers in curling and we're all of a sudden winning a lot of stuff. Um, I, they put in so much time and effort. And in the last handful of years, the game has really uh, taken a bit of a shift from sort of a majority throwers game, minority sweepers game, to a pretty even split between the two. There's a lot there's a lot the sweepers can do, and the level's riv- risen so much that that makes even more a difference than it did in the past. So it's big. Um, and to have the confidence knowing that we're going in there and we're not going to be outswept by any other team that we play against is a huge confidence boost on top of all the sort of help-making shots that they provide through the game. And finally, Brendan, I want to touch on the business side of curling for a moment. Uh, One of the often unspoken realities of being an elite curling team is that it's an expensive undertaking and that it isn't always easy to find sponsors. Now that your team has won a couple of slams and has reached a couple of Briar Finals, do you find it easier to attract sponsors or is it still a struggle for a team at your level? Especially since you haven't been around as long as some of the other top men's teams or players in Canada. We're just starting. We're at the front end of uh, receiving some of the benefits for the sort of year and a half, two years of good performance we've had. I think for a lot of the biggest companies, it's about consistency. So the guys with the biggest sponsorship deals are the big names that have been in curling for a dozen, 15 years in a row. Um, And, you know, long-term, that'll transition to some younger teams like ours. But uh, all we can really do is control yeah, you know, just going out there and hopefully having as good of a season next year as we had this year, and you got to get as many hours of TV coverage as you can, and at the end of the day, that's really what you're selling to your sponsors, especially national sort of big title sponsors. They're after the TV time, the exposure, the marketing, um, and as much of that as we can provide, I think we will do as good of a job as we can, and I think we're also a pretty good brand for a lot of those companies to partner with. I I really like what we have going in that respect. Um, And hopefully some companies see the value in that too. Team Anderson and Team Botcher were not the only winners in Toronto last week, as Team Holman and Team Cooey each won the Pinty's Cup and $75,000 for winning the season-long Grand Slam of Curling points race. Just prior to the Players' Championship, Team Adina of Sweden defended their World Men's Championship in Lethbridge, Alberta, by defeating Team Cooey of Canada in the final. Skip Nicholas-Adine joined from the hack to discuss his team's World Championship victory. 
Nicholas, you just won your second consecutive world championship. Now, obviously, winning worlds are always big, but this victory came in a season where your team hasn't had the same type of results you've had over the past few seasons. So I was wondering if the win in Lethbridge meant even more to you as a result. Exactly. We kind of said that the first time going into the Europeans, that like that could be the thing that kind of turned the season into a good one because we've had good results making finals and semifinals, but lost a lot of them, which is not usual for this team. We're used to, like, if we get to the later stage, we, we usually win the thing. Uh, but then we lost that final two, going for five consecutive wins, and lost that one. So, yeah, it really turned into a so-so season and until this Worlds, and we, we pretty much said that this is the only thing that can turn it into a good season now is winning Worlds. And when we did that, it just felt like better than any of the other wins I've had so far in my life. So it was, uh, yeah, pretty emotional and really great to win that one the way we did too. Now, I realize that you are a very confident team, but was there a little bit of trepidation heading into that final playing Kevin Cooey in Alberta in a week where he had made so many big shots in front of a very pro-Canada crowd? Exactly. Yeah, we actually talked about the crowds a bit too. Like We, we kind of like that too. Like, sure, we, we know they're not cheering for us, most of them, but it still makes for a good atmosphere, a good, like, that's where we want to be kind of thing. Uh, back home when we play, there's no one watching and it just makes it less exciting. So we, I, I think we like the stage. Obviously, uh, them too, getting some pressure from the home crowds. When you don't make a good shot, it's tough on you. So I, I think that goes both ways. I think uh, we, we really respected his outturn peels as well. He made a ton of those. Seemed though like on, on draws and on interns, uh, we could get an, an odd mistake. So we, we just tried to keep the play there and uh, didn't really succeed the first half. But then we, we got a few uh, few in the end instead. So a tricky opponent, tricky game. But we, we were very close and we were really happy that we could beat them twice in that event. Because they they've been the best team on tour, I think, for the past year. In the eighth end of the final, there was a delay due to the fact that your last tone had a malfunctioning handle. You had to throw a hit with that final rock, and Canada had a delicate draw with their final stone of the eighth. Do you believe that the delay perhaps benefited your team a bit more because you had a hit instead of a draw with that final rock? Uh, probably most people would say so. I, for, for me, I'd been drawing like over 90% the whole event, so for, for me, it would have been easier to play a draw. Because uh, I was getting really nervous too, and I think for a draw you have to have you have more time. So when you push out of the hack, you can still kind of feel the speed. You can adjust a little bit, and then you have the sweeping too. You got a pretty big margin usually with two strong sweepers. For a hit, you got to be within one inch, or you're you're losing the game in that situation. So to me, I, I've never been close to that nervous my whole life. So uh, I, I kind of wanted to play something else, but that was the shot that, that we needed to make that move at that time, and that was the shot, and I. Having to wait five minutes for that was, uh, yeah, it was the worst curling situation in my life at least. But then, obviously, when I make it, then his draw becomes really tricky as well. And we knew that side was slower even before that delay of, I don't know, five minutes or whatever it was. But uh, So, yeah, definitely b- both situations are no fun, no one's fault really. But uh, you got you got to try and do the best you can with what you've got, I guess. And, uh, yeah, that side was tricky to draw even even without the delay. With your victory in Westbridge, you tied the legendary Ernie Richardson as a skip with the most world championship titles. Were you aware of Mr. Richardson's accomplishments ahead of time, and how humbling is it to be mentioned in the same breath as him and the other great skips that have won multiple world championships, all of this happening while you're still at the relatively young age of 33? Oh, it's super cool. Obviously, I I wasn't born at that time, and I've I've heard some stories, but I, I haven't really watched any curling from that time. It's really hard to kind of find, so I've seen a lot of... 90s curling and some 80s as well but like that early I, I don't really know 
uh, the, the the game and that team that well. But I've seen uh, a few of them. They they've been at banquets and um, yeah, they, they seem like really humble, easygoing, nice guys. And from what I hear from other players, they they were the most talented bunch you've ever seen. So um, yeah, re- really. Uh, Really, really cool to be in that kind of group uh, with him and a few others winning for us as well. So uh, super cool, and hopefully we're still pretty young. So hopefully we can uh, try and even beat that record. It would be—it's uh, a new era now, so it's different, obviously. But still, on paper, it looks cool. You had another surgery last offseason. Obviously, you've recovered enough uh, to lead your team to a world championship title. That said, I was wondering if you are close to 100% at this point. Um, yeah, I, I got a, a new disc hernia actually in. Uh, end of November uh, uh, like during the Europeans so two months totally off no curling no training uh, basically just take it easy and rehab and try and get fit enough to, to play the rest so I could play competitions but no training whatsoever for two months and uh, good and bad I got uh, well rested and motivated again uh, the downside was that I only had like three weeks to, to get back before Worlds and uh, two of those were really really slow so literally one week of normal practice and training getting into Worlds but uh, yeah I, I got there in time um, so I, I felt happy about that but still like it was very very last minute so a bit, a bit lucky I got uh, good in time. And finally, Nicholas, earlier today, the Swedish government announced that it would support a bid by the city of Are to host the 2026 Winter Olympics. How exciting would it be for you to compete in the Olympics in your home country? Oh, that would be super cool. Uh, that would be kind of one of those like super highlights to finish your career with, I think. And uh, I don't know, like in curling, you can continue for a long time. We see a lot of great players like Kui is a good example. I think he's 11 years older than me, so uh, might continue after that as well. But that that would be a true pinnacle in uh, in my career so if, if we can get that Olympics and make it there that will be super cool I don't really have to win it either just be there in a home Olympics that will be something extra something special as mentioned earlier team Adina defeated team Kui of Canada in the final of the world men's championship in Lethbridge BJ Newfeld of team Kui joined from the hack to discuss what was an incredible experience for his team despite the fact they fell just short of winning the title BJ, when we last spoke, you mentioned how excited you were about getting the opportunity to represent Canada at the World Championship in Lethbridge. Results aside, we'll get to that in a moment. Did the experience of representing Canada on home soil measure up to what you had expected? Yeah, it was uh, it was awesome. I mean, it was a kind of uh, you know once in a lifetime type experience. You know, you know, I've dreamt about being at a World Curling Championship for a long time, and. Um, you know, to have it in Canada, in Alberta, you know, with, a, with an Alberta team was was pretty amazing. I mean, the crowds were outstanding all week. Um, you know, the cheers were loud. You know, Kevin was making great shots, and the and the you know, the whole town really embraced us and, and came out and supported us. And it was just uh, yeah, definitely one of my favorite uh, curling experiences, if not my favorite curling experience I've ever had. Your team seemed to be understandably amped up at different times in Lethbridge. What did you do as a team to try and rein that in so that it would not impact your performance on the ice? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a, um, you know, an ongoing process to make sure that, you know, once each end starts, you know, you've, you know, you've, you've ramped the emotions back down and, uh, and you know, focus on, on what you need to focus on and, and making shots and communicating, you know, properly because, you know, some of those big shots, you know, it it, uh, it takes a little while and it takes, uh, you know, a conscious effort to, to make sure that you're you're getting focused in um, and just not letting the emotions kind of run run your run what you're um, what you're trying to do. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a few times where we had to 
you know, have a bit of a chat between the four of us. Like, let's, you know, let's let's come back down. Let's let's get back to, to doing what we need to do to to have a, a good next end here. There are no easy games at a World Championship, but your schedule in Lethbridge was such that you were heavily favored in your first six games and didn't face much adversity until you lost two games in one day versus Japan and Sweden. Were you worried in any way after that day, or were you expecting to have a bump in the road at some point after going undefeated at the Briar and in your first six games at Worlds? Yeah, I think we were ready for for a day like that. I mean, it's pretty tough to go through a Briar and a Worlds and and not have a day like that. Um, so I, I think we were well prepared to to handle that. You know, I mean, that's a big big reason why John is is on our team. You know, he he's able to. Uh, um, help us focus on on the types of things we need to focus on to, to get back on track um, but yeah it was a it was a it was a tough day but you know we knew that that was going to be a really tough part of our schedule and and you know we just needed to to hang in there be positive and you know as long as we got back to to make it shots like we can I mean we were pretty confident that we were going to pick up uh, enough wins to get into the playoffs and, and be in the mix Speaking of the playoffs, uh, many observers have said that the semi-final game between your team and Team De Cruz of Switzerland was one of the best curling games they have ever seen. Did it feel like that for you on the ice, or were you so wrapped up in the moment that you did not get a chance to really appreciate the quality of the game you were involved in? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we all realized, um, you know, how cool of a game that was, uh, how well played it was, you know, um, it was just amazing shots being made uh, by both teams. Um, you know, just even really the whole, the, the day as a whole. Yeah, I mean, yeah kind of, was good too. Yeah, kind of the way it was going, you kind of thought, wow, this is a, this is a pretty special day and a pretty special uh, um, world to be a part of um, because, you know, we could easily, you could easily never have a, a day like that again. I mean, I know when we were in our locker room and kind of, you know, we all exhaled, you know, we were all feeling, you know, pretty good about ourselves as, as far as the, the day that we had and, and the two teams we had to beat. And yeah, the level of play was uh, something I had never seen before. So, so it was uh, a pretty, pretty amazing, amazing game. And just the, yeah, the day as a whole was was unbelievable. Obviously, the shot that everyone will talk about for a long time is a quadruple takeout that Kevin made in the semifinal versus Switzerland. There is some debate out there as to whether Kevin hit the first rock where he wanted to. With some people claiming that had he made the shot as called, the quadruple likely wasn't there. Can you clarify? Yeah, no, we he made it the way we were trying to we were trying to we were trying to cross it just a little bit. Um, I think maybe we crossed it maybe a little bit more than than we had probably pictured. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought that if he crossed it, you know, there was a decent chance that you know all the rocks were going to be touched. It just was a matter of whether they would all go or not. Um, but obviously, he threw it super super hard, and and uh, you know everything everything went our went our way, and they all kind of spilled out of the house. So. Yeah, I, I mean, it was a you know a super cool shot, great for the fan. How hard is it not to jump out of your shoes when one of your teammates makes a shot like that at a such a critical point in a game and with the crowd erupting all around you like they did in Lethbridge? Yeah, you kind of want to jump in the crowd and start cheering as well, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, and then, yeah, the crowd went absolutely insane. Um, you know, looking like you're going to give up, you know, two for sure, you know, and maybe even three, and if, if it doesn't hit it perfect, maybe even four. So. So, um, yeah, it was an uh, unbelievable experience and, uh, you know, something, a moment we'll all remember as a team for, for the rest of our careers. 
In the final versus Sweden, the key moment was obviously the eighth end where there was a delay of several minutes due to a malfunctioning rock handle with each team having one stone left to throw in the end. Many observers have suggested that Sweden benefited more from the delay than your team did because they had a hit with their final stone while Kevin had to attempt a difficult draw. Do you believe that the delay changed the ice conditions enough to have an impact on Kevin's last shot in the eighth? Yeah, I mean, hard to, hard to, know, for, hard to know for sure. Um... You know, but there's definitely uh, definitely a chance. I mean, the, the longer the ice sits, you know, the better chance it has of uh, you know getting a little bit of frost creeping into spots and and, and potentially getting a little bit heavier. Um, I mean, we kind of knew that spot was going to be a bit heavier, but you know, Kevin threw it the way he wanted to, and the guys really really liked it out of his hand. Um, just didn't quite just didn't quite guess right on what the speed was going to be after you know after everything went down. So. Yeah, it was unfortunate. It's definitely not ideal because, I mean, you know, Nick knows he's going to be throwing a hit. We know we're going to be throwing a draw, and we can see this delay, you know, continuing for, you know, a fair amount of time. And, and it's just, yeah, it's not a, not an ideal scenario, but, you know, at the end of the day, we definitely can't blame the loss for that. But, uh, man, it's sports, right? I mean, stuff like that happens. I think we, I think we handled it pretty well, um, you know, during while it was happening, I don't think we got uh, you know too too annoyed, but, uh, but yeah, it just didn't didn't work out for us. And finally, BG, I realize that it's still fresh right now, and I realize that you would have much preferred winning the final at the Worlds. That said, all things considered, you have to be satisfied with the way your team played in Lethbridge. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I think our perspective is really good that way. Um, you know, we're a first year team. You know, we've been really consistent on tour, won the Briar. You know, you know one one good end away from from winning a Worlds in our first year. So, um, you know, there's a lot of good we're going to take from this year and then from that event. Um, you know, and there, I think we've, we've talked a little bit here and there about some of the some of the gaps we may have to work on um, over this over the summer and over next season. But yeah, I mean, our, we're we're feeling really good about our team and, and, and we're super positive. And, you know, you make these teams for four year runs and with the end goal being the Olympics in mind. And, and, and I think that, uh, you know, we feel like we're we're right on track for for that to, to compete at the the trials. Before we move on to our final guest of the week, I wanted to remind you that from the Hack is part of the Curling Podcast Network, along with the Two Girls in the Game podcast and the Curling Legends podcast. If you haven't subscribed to those two podcasts yet, you should really check them out. Our final guest this week is Olympic gold medalist Sarah McManus of Team Hasselberg, whose team followed up their incredible Olympic season with yet another solid season, including two slam victories and a European Championship title so far. Sarah, your team came into this season on the heels of what was an incredible but very long and tiring season to end the last Olympic cycle. It would have been understandable for your team to take a bit of a breather this season, but you came into 2018-2019 with some serious goals. When I spoke to Anna earlier in the season, she mentioned you wanted to win a slam and win the Worlds, among other objectives. Now, you managed to win two slams this season, you won the Euros for the first time, and lost in the final at the Worlds. All things considered, how satisfied are you with your team's season? Yeah, it was like totally, as you say, like it, we would talk a lot about like finding the balance, as you say, like maybe not play as much as the last season, but still like you, we want to be our best and keep just evolving and be the better like players. Uh, so we was definitely like uh, at, the, at the start of the season, we were like, who are we? Uh, what are we going to do? And like, but like it was really nice. Um, 
the moment we set our goals for this season, as you said, like it was Worlds and Slam, but also like probably the biggest one was winning the Europeans. Uh, and we like did the two first slams and then winning the Europeans like really early. And then it was like, oh, so we still have lots of like tournaments left. And so we actually had like a really good and, and a big talk after the Europeans too, because like uh, we are not used to maybe reach our goals that fast. Uh, so that was something new for us. But uh, it has been like a great season. And, and I think we, we found like the right balance. Uh, and we have played great curling and that's really fun but um, we we actually tried to chill out a little bit more but then the World Cup came up so we couldn't uh, because we wanted to play all of those because we, we didn't know what to expect of it and we hoped it, that it was going to be really good and it was and it has been so uh, yeah but it's definitely like there's a lot of tournaments that we have played and still like two left. You mentioned that you have attempted to create a better balance for your team this season, which is difficult because you end up having to travel to Canada six or seven times a season for different events. What have you done when you were at home to help with that balance? Have you been practicing less? Have you been more focused on off-ice training as opposed to on-ice training? Yeah, like it, it definitely like depends on how like for how many weeks we're going to compete, uh, obviously. But like we we are the persons who likes to practice a lot, uh, so like we try to max it out uh, as much as we can. But like if we only are home for a week, maybe we will focus more on the physical training rather than the curling. Uh, so it's it's totally it's about the balance there too. But we we try to talk to it to each other and like maybe one thing works for me and and one thing doesn't work for Anna yeah. for example so we tried to like talk it through and yeah but but I think we did like a really good job this season yeah, uh, so because well, we so. feel like really uh, like at the same we feel pumped but also at the same time like rested and we feel like really good in our bodies and in the mind too so I think we did a really great job. You recently lost in the final of the World Championship for the second year in a row. What was your team able to take away from what was otherwise a very good week for your team in Denmark? Yeah, but like, and I also want to like point out that it has been like two completely different. Like last year, we felt that we won a silver. This year, we felt like we lost a gold. Um, and like personally, I'm really like disappointed in myself because I didn't do my best out there. I like, I didn't find the the feeling of the ice and I, I was like uh, tricksing like with my with my technique and it was like I, I was not where I wanted to so but like we always try to find something to bring with us and like one thing we said is like if you uh, like you have to be prepared to lose a game if you like really want to win it so that's what we said and maybe it just wasn't our it wasn't our turn this this year either, uh, but we like we are aiming for Beijing 22. So like, ah, we have a lot of years left. Earlier this season, you got a chance to play in a World Cup event in front of a home crowd in Yonchuping. How fun was it to play in front of a home crowd, considering that most of the big events you play in are typically held in Canada? Uh, I mean, it it was incredible. Like for real, we we thought that because maybe like uh, because curling isn't that big in Sweden, so we were like, oh, we don't know what to expect, kind of. Uh, but it was great. Like the audience was amazing. It was such a good event. Like it, it was one of the best for sure. Uh, we haven't played in Beijing yet, but like it was top notch. It was so good. We were super proud to have it. Like uh, one World Cup in in Sweden. That was amazing. 
And finally, Sarah, yesterday the Swedish government announced that it would support the city of Ari's bid for the 2026 Winter Olympics. I realize that it's still seven years away and there's no guarantee that Ari will win the right to host the Games in the first place, but how cool would it be if you ever got the chance to compete at an Olympics in your home country of Sweden? It would be amazing. Like, I think I speak for everyone. Like, that is a dream coming true. Uh, it's a bit like when it comes to the sport, then it's like a lot of things behind it and maybe not everyone is supporting it, but like from my perspective and as a curler, that would be, I mean, I... Amazing. And that does it for the From the Hack podcast for April 16th, 2019. A big thank you to each of our guests and to all of you for listening. I'm Frank Rock, and this is From the Hack.